From the Salvation Army, welcome to the Holiness Podcast with Lieutenant Colonel Vern Jewett. In this monthly Bible study, we'll be exploring God's gift of holiness, which is offered to every Christian. To download this month's study guide, visit us at salvationarmysoundcast.org holiness. Greetings in the name of Christ. This is Vern Jewett, and this is the Holiness Podcast, where we do uh, in-depth study on the subject of scriptural holiness. We are in a series on corporate holiness, and this is the second podcast in that series. So we welcome you today and invite you to grab your Bible if you're in a place where you can do that, and join us for uh, some study on biblical holiness. First, I want to review a little bit from last month's podcast, where we went to 1 Corinthians 3, and many of you are familiar with the Christians in that congregation at Corinth who were divided and arguing and whom Paul called carnal and fleshly and immature. We found by looking at his teaching and admonishing and correction of that congregation that we are intimately connected to God and intimately connected with one another. We also are completed by God through one another. And we looked at the three examples that Paul laid out to address the terrible problem of dissension in the church. He used the example first of a farm and a farmer in the field, and we learned that we are connected organically with one another. The connection is intimate, and intimacy is part of what God planned for us as a body of Christ, a body of believers. We learned that we're connected operationally. As he used the example of building, we're co-workers with God, but we have shared life with co-workers and one another. But of course, Jesus is the foundation. And then we learned the third example that Paul gave was that we are connected spiritually because we are the temple, the residing place of the Holy Spirit. We are connected spiritually with one another in a communion that is empowered by God the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to move on this month in this podcast and take a closer look at how this actually works itself out in the church, in the body of Christ. In order to uh, introduce the subject matter, I'd like to jump right in by sharing with you one of my favorite stories told by one of my favorite people. Oscar Roan is a dynamic minister of the gospel who was an NFL football player, a tight end with the Cleveland Browns. He's a big guy. He has an amazing ministry with men and is a great storyteller. Oscar tells the story of a truck he owned that frustrated him to no end. Every once in a while, the truck would have this terrible squeak. I wish you could hear him mimic the squeak. It's hilarious. But every time he would take it to the shop, 
they wouldn't be able to hear or duplicate the squeak, so they couldn't fix it. This went on for over a year, as I remember, until one day Oscar was driving and the squeak started. He looked around, saw a repair shop across the street, and pulled under a sign that said, Master Mechanic. The mechanic listened, heard the squeak, went to the back room, brought out a couple of bearings, and fixed the truck. Why? Because it squeaked in the shop, where it could be fixed. Then Oscar applied squeaking in the shop to the need for Christians to open themselves up to healing and ministry in the church. I would go even further and apply it to bringing into the fellowship of believers the felt needs we have, the challenges that threaten our spiritual well-being, our real hurts, our real hopes. God's plan is that when we come together and worship, pray, fellowship, study His Word, and praise Him, sometimes He will use the disciplines of corporate worship to meet our needs. Sometimes He will use the witness or example of others or our interactions with other members of the body of Christ to meet our needs. But here's the problem. For many of us, sadly, for millions of Christians, rather than allow God to use corporate worship or other believers to minister to us, instead we put on our facades and hide our real-life concerns and leave without having our needs met. Friends, we need to share our struggles with someone. This lesson opens our eyes to the truth that the idea of my life and spiritual struggles is non-existent in the Scripture. There are only our struggles if we are saved into and intimately connected with others in the body of Christ. Now you see, if your struggle stays in the dark, it still has bondage over you. In the same way, we don't do our Christian friends any favors if we don't share with them how God has set us free from our bondage. Now, of course, I'm not suggesting that we share inappropriately, that we simply bear ourselves to each other. There's a danger in that. But I am suggesting that we have an expectation that God will use others to meet our needs as we share together in Christ. He will use His people through our shared worship to do His work, sometimes to perform miracles. You see, when one part of the body hurts, all of the body hurts. This lesson is about bringing our spiritual squeaks to the shop. Now, as an aside, the wonderful, venerable John Perkins shared a great truth when he said, One major purpose of the church is to absorb pain. And that purpose, friends, is both evangelistic and a wonderful 
part of sharing in fellowship for believers and Christians. We all need each other. All of us need the whole body of Christ. So, let me introduce our textual verse. We're staying in one verse, although we will pay a little bit of attention, of course, to the context at a point or two in our discussion. The verse is Colossians 1.28. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. The message of this podcast is that we are called to and destined to be complete in Christ. When I first began studying holiness in Paul's letters seriously and systematically back in about 1985, I concluded quickly that this is the primary and favorite description of the holy life in the letters of Paul found in the New Testament. I call it the Pauline portrait of holiness. We're going to focus on this verse by asking three questions about its teaching. Here are the questions. The first one is, what is the goal and purpose of the church? The second is, how do we achieve that purpose? And the third is, what does the church that achieves its purpose look like? All right, the first question, what is the goal and purpose of the church in this verse? And the answer is holiness. It is to present every person complete in Christ. Now that's the translation of the New American Standard Bible. The NIV picks up the same word, it's the only difference in the translation, from the King James, to present everyone perfect in Christ. Now, of course, this Pauline theme, many of you will recognize, is actually the basis for the classic Wesleyan doctrine of Christian perfection. There's a key word here. The Greek word translated throughout the Pauline letters as perfect, at least in the King James, is teleos, with the meaning probably better translated complete or mature or fully equipped. If it's not rendered that way, as it is in many new translations, there's usually a note explaining that the meaning is different than many of us would attach to the word perfect. Now, we don't hear Christian perfection preached even by Wesleyans very much anymore. The reason is that any attempt to preach it by that name, though thoroughly scriptural, requires the explanation and definition that John Wesley from the very beginning had to repeat countless times. Basically, he had to explain that perfection is not an absolute norm of behavior which is faultless. It's not measured by an objective standard. It's not something whereby someone's goodness makes them able to be called holy. What has happened is we've been influenced and misled by Greek thought here and a lot of other places as well. But the idea that perfect means flawless and the conclusion 
then drawn by millions of Christians, is what has led us astray, the conclusion drawn is that, well, if it's flawless, then it is not possible to attain being complete in Christ or Christian perfection. No, Wesley understood first what teleos meant, but that holiness was a matter of relationship, that holiness was being in perfect relationship with Christ, which is being complete in Christ. Now, this is found throughout his letters. It's used in many interesting places that we don't have time to look at today. But just to give you an example, in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 9, he says, This we also pray for, that you may be made complete. Teleos. And then two verses later in verse 11, Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace. It means to be in a full, open relationship with the living God, which is the definition we have used in this podcast from the very beginning. And of course, it contains in it, being complete in Christ, that key phrase, in Christ, which is used in its various forms 164 times in Paul's letters. The Dictionary of New Testament Theology, edited by Colin Brown, agrees when it states the following. In the context of human development, teleos applies to the man who has reached maturity, the grown man who has come of age, and he puts especially in Paul, in parentheses. The New Testament does not speak of an ideal of ethical perfection. Rather, when applied to people's actions, teleos signifies the undivided wholeness of a person in his behavior. We talked a little bit in the first podcast on this subject about being made whole as an understanding of New Testament holiness and of being restored to the image of Christ which had been destroyed by sin in our lives, which again is a picture of a whole relationship. The Colossians 3, 28 verse we're using is often highlighted by scholars and students alike because of its importance in a teaching setting the goal of the church, the purpose of the church, to present everyone complete in Christ is a seminal thought in Pauline holiness teaching. Well, the second aspect of the goal or purpose of the church in this verse is that every person is to be holy. Now, I've been teaching this for a few decades now. And usually I stop here and uh, just have those people identify themselves who are thinking the way I think when I consider this truth. Who? Me? Me? Holy? And the answer is yes. Every man, every woman. The word every is used three times in this verse in the original language, either two or three times in the translations, depending on on the structure they use. But every man, every woman, every soldier, every officer, every deacon, every pastor, every bishop, 
It is not an experience for just a few. It is not for a spiritually elite group. There is no clergy and laity distinction. Paul's great aim for the church is to present every person complete in Christ. Now, you know, this may be the only thing in the world which is for every person. Not everyone can be a thinker. We don't have the same gifts. I am very uh, good at analytic and cognitive games and challenges, but I can do very little with my hands that is of any worth. There are those who are colorblind, and the loveliness of art means nothing. There are those who are tone deaf, and the glory of music doesn't exist. Not every person can be a writer or a student or a preacher or a mechanic. Every human love at its highest is not granted to everyone. There are gifts all of us will never possess. There are privileges we will never enjoy. But to every person, there is open the good news of the gospel and the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord and the transforming power which can bring holiness and completion to life. Now this may be a good place just to make an observation. Once you say every person complete in Christ and then fill it out as we're going to with an understanding that this happens in the context of the body of Christ, isolation for a Christian is not an option. In fact, I would suggest to you, because I know I've known hundreds of people over my lifetime in ministry who felt like they were Christians, they just didn't have anything to do with the church. Isolation is sinful by definition. The writer to the Hebrews exhorts us in chapter 3, verse 13, to encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Life Together, that wonderful, miraculous little book, he notes, sin is much more dangerous to our growth when it gets us alone. He says, sin demands to have a man or woman by themselves. It withdraws them from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Isolation from church, from the rest of our body, is not an option. It is deadly. Now, one of the most significant books I've read in my lifetime was a book written 26 years ago. It's been republished. It was a very well-received book uh, back when it was first written by Stanley Hauerwas and William uh, Williman, Will Williman. And it was called Resident Aliens. Let me just share a couple of sentences from their uh, preface. To be resident but alien as a Christian is a formula for loneliness that few of us can sustain. Indeed, it's almost impossible to minister alone because our loneliness is 
can too quickly turn into self-righteousness or self-hate. Christians can survive only by supporting one another through the countless small acts through which we tell one another we are not alone, that God is with us. And if survival requires the church, holiness also requires the church. So what is the goal of the church? For every believer to be holy, fully equipped, mature. Every believer. Now, question two, how do we achieve that goal? Let's look at the rest of uh, verse 28. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Two ways. First, by proclaiming Christ. Now, here's where the Immediate context is very important to Bible study. Verse 27 says this, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, them is the saints of the church. And what is the mystery? The mystery is Christ in you, and not surprisingly, after our study last time, the you there is plural. It is Christ in you, corporately, that is the hope of glory. And actually, in the original language, the sentence goes on. It actually says, the hope of glory, whom we proclaim. So where do we see Christ in our daily living? We see Christ in one another. I want to introduce you to an author, a good friend of mine, and a wonderful book. It's called Social Holiness, and the author is Dr. Jonathan Raymond, who is a lifetime salvationist, professor, author, lecturer on social psychology. So it makes sense that he would... uh, write on social holiness, the company we keep, and a teacher on Wesleyan thought. He co-edits the Salvation Army's Journal of Theology and Ministry, Word and Deed, with Dr. Roger Green. I want to share, in the next few minutes, uh, three or four little segments, because social holiness is corporate holiness. And he picks up immediately on this first way we achieve the goal of being complete in Christ is to proclaim Christ. He identifies it with Christ-likeness. Listen to what he says about a sanctified context that Christians should live in. Most simply defined, holiness is Christ-likeness, the unfolding of Jesus Christ's own character in the life of the believer who devotes time and attention to the way of holiness that is deliberately remaining in a sanctified context. Now that context, here's a hint, is the church. (laughs) But he says then that context is God's presence as the Holy Spirit working through the presence of holy others. 
It's the Spirit making possible spiritual growth, formation, Christ-likeness, and ultimately a cleansing of the heart, soul, and mind to the glory of God. How do we achieve the goal of being holy, being complete in Christ? We proclaim by word and deed Christ in our lives. Now, secondly, and this may be the heart of our lesson and study today. We achieve that goal by admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Now, allow me to state the obvious. You can't admonish or teach yourself. You can't impart wisdom to yourself. <laughs> the wisdom you see is found in the collective body of Christ. Now, in our final podcast on this subject, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, and we're going to do a teaching on spiritual gifts, which is an excellent way to open up the importance of social holiness, corporate holiness for all of us. But this is all about the power of being one in Christ with other believers. Listen to Dr. Raymond. Social holiness is powerful. The company we keep is key to the kind of life we live. It informs what impact we may have on the world. As social holiness comes to us through others and is passed on attitudes, values, perceptions of right and wrong, moral dispositions, and preferences are formed. And history unfolds ultimately to the glory of God. The company of others influences the food we eat, the teams we champion, the fashions we follow, the music we listen to, and the priorities that determine how we spend our time and with whom. And then he summarizes powerfully. Listen, our growth in Christ is nourished by the company we keep. Other persons become God's means of pouring grace into our lives. They are instrumental to our growth beyond mere acquaintance with Christ. They facilitate an increasing intimacy with him. Dear friends, this is one of the most important yet neglected teachings on holy living. I remember over the years, I have often preached on corporate holiness and the response every time from the congregation or from friends or people who were present is, well, I haven't heard anything like that about holiness in a long time, if ever. <laughs> Your spiritual life your holiness is not only dependent upon God working in your life, it depends equally upon God working through others to make you complete in Christ. Why is this so important? Because many believers in our culture believe that holy living is completely an individual, personal matter. Yet the New Testament has no such understanding. Rather, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior... Just listen to a few things I jotted down. You are saved into the church and made part of the family of God. 
The Holy Spirit who lives in you also lives in the body of Christ. And there is no division between your spiritual life and that of the church. Therefore, your spiritual life is interdependent with the lives of other believers. You are not wholly apart from other believers, and they are not wholly apart from you. Holiness and holy living is all about relationships, our relationship with God and our relationship with other Christians. Listen, friends, can you imagine Paul and the early leaders of the church being asked whether joining in fellowship with other believers was really necessary for Christians? They would have been shocked by the question. To become a Christian meant a transformation that affected one's whole life. There was no partial commitment for New Testament Christians regarding other Christians. This new life brought them into intimate, personal relationships with new brothers and sisters in Christ. Just to apply it to our day and our culture, according to Gallup, Results based on 174,000 interviews conducted in 2015 found that 75% of Americans identify themselves with a Christian religion. However, many other studies have shown that less than 20% of those who call themselves Christians are in a church on any given Sunday morning. And no more than 40% attend church with any regularity. Now, of course, there are some mitigating factors for some persons regarding church attendance. People work on Sunday. There may not be a church or fellowship group near where you live. Certainly those who are ill or aging find it physically difficult. Some people lack transportation. But even if you are generous with those factors, do the math. And here's the conclusion. There are literally Tens of millions of people in America who call themselves Christians but do not share or interact in close community with other Christians. That brings us to the third question. What does the church that achieves its purpose look like? Well, here's one person's description. Enabled by the Holy Spirit, we get rid of all the junk in our lives, the trash accumulated over time by our dispositions and habits and sins. The more we discard, the more we are dead to sin. We progress from grace to grace, being conformed to the likeness of Jesus, waiting for that encounter with God when we receive full salvation from all our sins. And our entire sanctification, or what John Wesley called our going on to perfection, perfect love, being complete in Christ. And we don't do this on our own. Other saints come alongside and help us move in completely and remain a resident in Christ. Now, the New Testament and Paul's letters are replete with descriptions of what a church complete in Christ looks like. Here's one from a little bit later in Colossians, chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. They're all relationship-oriented. Read Ephesians, 
read Paul's other letters, you'll find descriptions of what it should look like as we live with each other and supporting one another all over the place. But this one says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And that word is teleos. Now, just an aside, remember that we're not suggesting the children of God are perfect performers in any arena of life. Certainly not every arena of life. We live with a good dose of reality. We are subject, all of us, to ignorance, misunderstanding, sleeplessness, weakness, hormones, stress, disease, environment, bad food, stupidity, <laughs> and a thousand other shortcomings. If these are sin, and in one Old Testament biblical sense they are, let us confess with the best of them and pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It was Dan Boone, president of Treveca Nazarene University, that shared those thoughts. And then he said, all in favor say aye. And all of us that were in the congregation said aye. <laughs> that is what a church reaching the goal of everyone complete in Christ is striving for. So in closing, let me go back to uh, Oscar's story, squeaking in the shop. Friends, all Christians are squeaking. You know, uh, holiness is perfect relationship. If you are in right relationship with God, you are complete at this moment in him. But today's holiness does not meet the needs of tomorrow because there are new happenings, new people, new challenges, new temptations constantly. That's why sanctification embraces the element of growing in grace. Now, we've talked about it on occasion and we'll talk about it again in podcasts down the road. But there is both a crisis experience and there are reasons to see in the New Testament why uh, many people believe that it is a specific moment in time when a Christian who has struggled gives himself completely and experiences this being in perfect relationship with Christ for the first time. But definitely sanctification is a process is growth in grace. You see, John Wesley, Wesley's great contribution was to see salvation as both justification and sanctification. And as we've mentioned many times, justification happens in a moment. We are saved. We are forgiven. We become a child of God. God's Holy Spirit comes in us. That happens once. But sanctification, which is initiated 
at the point of salvation and the coming of the Holy Spirit into our lives is now the agenda, the curriculum for the rest of our lives. We are constantly being sanctified, being made holy, being made complete in Christ as we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We all have squeaks. How about you? Can you identify yours? There's a reason we must be united in a correct and open way with other believers. Jesus said he wanted us to be in the world, but not of the world. Let me go back in closing to uh, Dr. Raymond and share with you his thoughts. And it's really related to this very passage in Colossians. He says the words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to a young faith community capture the nature of the acquaintance process with God. He calls this acquainting grace. And then he quotes Colossians 1, 21 to 23, just a few verses earlier than our text, but part of the same teaching. Once you were alienated from God, that's where we started, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I've got to stop there. If anybody doubts the truth and the centrality of the 28th verse, that every person needs to be presented complete in Christ, and that that is speaking about holiness, the very same word, to present you holy, hagias, in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Verses 21 to 23 of Colossians 1. And Dr. Raymond says, notice the spiritual progression. This is how we grow in grace in the body of Christ. From being alienated from God, to being redeemed and reconciled, to being restored in relationship, to growth in grace and holiness, to being perfected in the likeness of Christ, and to intimacy and infilling and cleansing. That verse that we have studied, I want to say it one more time and just let it renounce in your spirit with the things we have learned from it. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we, the church, may present everyone complete in Christ. Well, may it be so. Next time we'll be finishing our series on corporate holiness, as I mentioned, by studying the spiritual gifts teaching in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Now, I would just say this about uh, tackling those two chapters. There's a great deal of teaching in the New Testament about spiritual gifts. I was born into a family. My parents were Salvation Army officers, were ministers. Now, true, it was uh, many decades ago. 
But I do not recall until I was almost 30 years old ever hearing about spiritual gifts. And that's tragic. There are reasons we understand for it, and we'll touch on some of those. But we're going to study how God grows believers through the administration of gifts by the Holy Spirit, who delivers them as he pleases to us for the sake of all of our growth. It is a primary way to understand corporate holiness. And just as a plus, I hope it will be a plus for you, I'm going to take a portion of time and teach on the gift of speaking in tongues, one of the most misunderstood gifts which the Bible has much and very clear teaching about in this passage and other places. So, we hope you'll join us next time on the Holiness Podcast. God bless you, and have a wonderful day. Thanks so much for listening, and we'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts, questions, or prayer requests. Visit us at SalvationArmySoundcast.org slash holiness. And if you're enjoying this Bible study, share it with a friend. They can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts. Thank you.